this morning. Go ahead and pull up the PowerPoint. I have a lot to say in a little bit of time. Go for it. <laughs> Thank you, Dave. I appreciate that. We're going to continue in our series and profiles and courage this morning. Before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for a new series this morning, or a new portion of the series. Lord, as we look at these uh, profiles and courage, Lord, as we go into the lesson today, as we go into the teaching today, Lord, let us just be aware of what you're speaking to us. Let's be aware that, that these are not my words, but your words. Lord, that they wouldn't be my thoughts, but your thoughts. Lord, that we surrender to you this morning. Lord, we just surrender to your will. Lord, if you want this to go in a different direction, take it in a different direction. That's okay. Lord, I thank you for what you've placed in my heart. Lord, that it would move in and through the lives of those who are here, of those who are listening online. Lord, that you would just bless and keep them. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. In this series, we've been looking at those profiles in the Bible, uh, people in times of great courage. We talked about David and Goliath. How many remember we talked about David and Goliath? We talked about Saul a little bit, how he came to power. We talked about Rahab helping the spies. We talked about Joshua last week. We talked about Joshua and the, the wall at Jericho. This, today we're going to look at what I see is one of the great prophets in biblical history. One of the great prophets in the Old Testament. But before we do that, as we've done in each of the, pre of the previous profiles, uh, we want to look at the backstory. It's important for us to understand the backstory. It's important for us to not just look at the character, not just look at the person of Elijah, but look at what brought him to power. Look at why he had to be there. What events caused God to raise him up? So that's what we're going to take a look at this morning. This morning, our main focus is going to be on the main enemies of God. The enemies of God. Not just in Scripture, not just in the Bible, but that are very alive in the church today. That are very alive in the church today. I don't want to just give you a history lesson. I don't want to just say, well, you know, he lived at this time, and this was his dad, and this was her dad, and this was this and this and this. No, I want us to dig into the spiritual aspects of it. Is that okay? I want us to look at the history of it, but I also want to look at the spirituality of it as well. If you have your Bibles this morning, go ahead and turn to 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29 through 33. And can you see that okay? Can you see it okay? I'll read it if you can't see it. Mary, can you see it? Read it, okay. <laughs> I'll do it in white next time. Boy, I thought that would pop. Anyway, 1 Kings chapter 16, verse 29 through 33. Go ahead and please stand with me this morning as we honor the reading of the word of the Lord. It says this, In the 38th year of Asa, king of Judah, Ahab, son of Omri, became king of Israel. And he reigned in Samaria over Israel 22 years. Ahab, son of Omri, did more evil in the eyes of the Lord than any of those before him. 
He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, but he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbel, king of the Sidonians, and began to serve Baal and worship him. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Ahab also made an Asherah pole and did more to arouse the anger of the Lord, the God of Israel, than did all the kings of Israel before him. You may be seated. Go ahead and turn the lights on. If you recall last week, we spoke a little bit about Ahab. Ahab. We introduced you to him. We introduced you to uh, his father, Omri. Omri was the father of Ahab. And in fact, the Bible says about Omri that he did more evil than the kings before him. But he was no match for his son, Ahab, who did more evil than all the kings before him put together. Ahab, he was known as a champion of evil. I want you to think about that. Think about, is there somebody, who who would you describe as a champion of evil? What's that? Mike Schubert. Dang. Wow, it's getting real in here. You don't know? Okay, praise the Lord. All right, moving on. Hitler, right? I mean, a champion of evil. And when we think about these champions of evil, we think Hitler, we think these people throughout history. When we think of a champion of evil, we also have to think of King Ahab. What do we know about them? What do we know? What's going on right now? Israel is in a very divided place right now. Israel's in a very divided place. It's northern region is simply known as Israel. Its southern region is simply known as Judah. Asa is the king over Judah, but Ahab is the king over Israel. Here's what we know about Ahab. I want to take a look. We're going to take a look at this scripture as as well as a very short one in a minute, but we're only going to take a look at two scriptures this morning because we're going to break it down. Amen? The sins of Jeroboam. What do we know about Ahab? He not only considered it trivial to commit the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat. The sins of Jeroboam. What is this sins of Jeroboam? Well, part of the sins of Jeroboam was that he set up idols. He set up idols all all over the place. In fact, not only did he set up idols, he tore down the holy places to set up these idols. He replaced holy days with idol worship days. Ahab considered this trivial. This was nothing. It was no big deal. You tear down this holy place, you raise up a different idol place. It was nothing for him. What else do we know about Ahab? Second thing is that he was married. He's married. We're going to take a look at her in just a minute. But we know that he was married. The last thing we know is this. He set up an altar for Baal in the temple of Baal that he built in Samaria. Then he also did this. He made an Asherah pole. What is an Asherah pole? What is a temple of Baal? For those who have studied any part of biblical archaeology or biblical history, You take a look at what Baal was. Baal was a false god. 
Baal was a, a false god. He was a god over, over the land, over the earth, over the dirt. Then Asherah. Asherah was what was known as a goddess, a false god, another one. This Asherah pole, it was, uh, well, the best way to say this is the Asherah pole was nothing more than a symbol of male sexuality. It was nothing more than the symbol of male sexuality. It was very phallic in nature. And the people would dance around it. They would have all different kinds of sexual perversity happen. Then they would put these things on display in front of men and women. What happened at the altar of Baal, at the, temple, at the pole of Asherah? We know that there's usually lots of people gathered there. We know that uh, the whole community came out and all of the best pagan ideas came together. The pagan ideas, what they were doing was they were putting out, say, listen, we want crops. If you're a farmer, you understand you want crops, right? You want to make sure that, that the crops come up, you pray for it. Well, what they were doing was saying, if Baal and Asherah get together, they will produce children. And the, and the, and the children that they produce are the crops. So these people, they go to this area, and they start uh, having relations with each other. It turns into massive, perverse sexual orgies. You say, Pastor David, we shouldn't talk about that in church. This is what happened. This is the perversity that's happening. These, there's wicked personalities that were respected, given the platform to speak. Does this remind you of anything today? That there's wicked personalities that were respected and given the platform to speak. Some were great dancers of that time, while others were great musicians. Does it remind you of anything today? And as people danced around the Asherah pole, there was nothing that was sacred to them. They acted out lustful body scenes for the enjoyment of all who came. They had on all kinds of sexual experiences on display. On top of that, they then invited the crowd to participate. This was the kind of evil that was happening. Not just that. You think, man, that's bad, right? That's horrible. That's disgusting. In addition to everything you just read, a central feature of it was child sacrifice. A central feature of it was child sacrifice. Sacrifice. This is what was brought to the table. This is what the king wanted. This is what the king Ahab had set up. And the Lord's anger was upon him. You can kind of see why. Can't you? Now we're going to talk about his wife. His wife. Her name very simply, is Jezebel. How many of you heard the name Jezebel? Who's smiling? Who's laughing? The name Jezebel, it's a name that is now synonymous with manipulation. It's, it's synonymous with radical, ungodly feminism. It is. Did you know that modern day Jezebel is associated with modern radical feminism. 
In fact, there's even a website called Jezebel. It's quite popular now. It's a name that's synonymous with manipulation. She had a lust for power. She used her sensuality in ruthless ways to ruthlessly overpower anyone who got in the way. She used her power to, to try to overcome and overtake anybody who got in the way. You say, Pastor David, why are we talking about this? Because we have to understand that this is what Elijah is up against. This is the kind of evil that is happening there. She was the daughter of King Ethbaal. Now, at first, when you first read this, you say, he also married Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, king of the Sidonians. King of the Sidonians. You say, well, what is, I mean, what's the big deal? What's why it says that? What's, what's the point? King Ethbaal. King Ethbaal was not only the king of his region, but he was also the leader of the religion. He was not just the leader of the nation. He was the leader of the religion. And Jezebel, daughter of Ethbaal, became the queen of Israel. This woman, some of you may have heard, how many have heard the term, the spirit of Jezebel? You may have heard the term. If you've not heard the term, this is a reference to something in the demonic. Now, when I refer to the demonic, I want to be careful. When I talk about demonic things, you say, well, Pastor David, this is a Sunday morning. It's not a Wednesday night, but it's okay. I think that part of the responsibility of the church is to give you true and deep lessons in spirituality. Part of that is understanding the devices of the devil. Part of that is understanding the devices of the enemy. There's always the possibility, this is why I want to be careful, because there's always the possibility of giving the enemy more credit than he's due. Right? We don't, we don't want to uh, make this a big show. There's always the possibility of giving the enemy more, than, more credit than he's due. But I believe it's important to understand, in today's church, we have an enemy. We have an enemy. We have to be aware of his devices. Amen? We have to be aware of his devices. How many know the name of our enemy? Say it loud. Satan? <laughs> Y'all thought I was going to say a person or something? <laughs> The name of our enemy is Satan. He's known by a few names in the Bible. He's known by Beelzebub, the devil. Under Satan, Lucifer, right? Under Satan, I'm going to give you some, some Bible 101 here. Under Satan are called demons. Demons are real. They are those who were created by God, but chose to follow Lucifer in a rebellion. Lucifer tried to take over. The demons, the, the, they were angels who followed Lucifer and became demons. They are now under the command of Lucifer. 
I don't want you to make any mistake. Demons are real. You say, well, Pastor David, what do you mean demons are real? I mean demons are real. It's not just a figment of your imagination. There is demonic activity happening in the world today. Jesus dealt with demons on multiple instances. Jesus dealt with them. The disciples dealt with them. As Christians, you may have to deal with them. In my name, this is what the Bible says, that in my name they will cast out demons. Right? That when you're operating in the name of Jesus, that you will lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. And in my name you will cast out demons. That's what the Bible says. Now, we also, we have to be aware. You know, I'm not one who believes that there's a demon behind every rock. Amen? I don't believe there's a demon behind every chair and every rock. Sometimes, you know, a lot of our struggles, how many know, a lot of our struggles are our own making. A lot of our struggles are our own making, our own, our own decisions. Man, I screwed up. I'm in a place in my life, and I don't understand why. And I can look back and say, well, I made that mistake and that mistake and that mistake. Boy, that was a big one. And now I have to get back on track. Sometimes there's people that will use demons as an excuse or use the devil as an Well, you know, I got the, you know, the devil's just really been on me today. Boy, you know, I'm, I'm struggling. I'm not making any money. I'm not doing it. Boy, the devil's just all over me. That's what people say. Make no mistake, Jesus did deal with demons, but there's not a demon behind every rock. We have to look at this in a balanced way. A lot of our struggles are either from our own decision-making, our own, our own decision not to follow the commands of God. I know that's, that's tough to hear, but a lot of the mistakes that we make in our life a lot of our struggles come because we decided to go against the command of the Lord. Other times, it's just a natural outcome of us living in a fallen world. We live in a fallen world. We, have, we, we live in regions and areas where there's tornadoes and hurricanes and typhoons and all sorts of these different things that are natural part of the earth. And people will say, well, you know, was that the devil? I'm always really wary of people who blame everything on demons. And I'll be the first one to say I'm wary of people who blame everything on a demon. But I will say that they are real. And that they are trying to suppress the move of God or take down the followers of God or get, get people to follow anything or anyone but the true and living and almighty God. That's their job, is to trip you up. They may not possess you, but they will oppress you. The cause of many people's depression sometimes is chemical, sometimes it's emotional, but sometimes it is demonic. And sometimes it needs to be pushed away in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. There's the powerful name of Jesus. What a powerful name it is. What a powerful name it is. How many believe there's power in the name of Jesus this morning? How many believe that there's, it is a powerful name? Now, when we talk about the spirit of Jezebel, 
We're going to talk about this this morning. I want to talk about the spirit of Jezebel. What is it? Who operates in it? Who moves in it? If you've never heard of this before, there are times where people will operate under demonic influence. Now, I know that this is deep. I want you to hold on with me. I want you to understand that this is sometimes the devices the devil uses, but we have power in the name of Jesus. Amen? But I want you to understand, there are people who operate in the spirit of Jezebel. A person operating in the spirit can be very manipulative or is very manipulative. They are normally female. Just to be honest, they're normally female but they can operate in the male as well. They are willing to lie to and manipulate anyone who gets in their way. And if that fails, they go into victim mode. If that fails, they they now play the victim. Their focus is usually on leadership, either trying to take it over or trying to mess somebody up or be the person pulling the strings. You say, Pastor David, why are we talking about this? Because we have to be aware of the devil's devices. We have to be aware that there are people that are in not just the church as a whole, but possibly this church. We have to be aware of these things. Listen, when we are doing what God wants us to do, when we are praising him, when we are magnifying him, when we are doing the mission that God has called us to do, he will send people to try to mess us up. He will send people to try to trip us up and mess us up and get us distracted and get us off message and get us doing everything but what God has called us to do. So we have to be aware of this. This is said to be one of the most, we talk about different, when we talk about different demons and the way that they operate, there's what some people call the spirit of lust, the spirit of anger. There's different ways that these people operate. This spirit, the spirit of Jezebel, there's 15 ways that I want to talk about. 15 ways about how Jezebel operates. I want to say this. I don't want you... (laughs) I'm going to read 15 things here. And the important thing is not to hear 15 things and go, man, that's my mother-in-law. I know who that is, Pastor. Woo! <laughs> My wife is giving me daggers right now. <laughs> no. Yeah, it's, important. You don't wanna, it's important that you don't hear these things and go, well, that's, somebody's got the spirit of Jezebel. Because for years, people have been going, any kind, for years, if, if a woman has been strong, if they've shown any kind of backbone, if they've, all these different things, people go, oh, they got the spirit of Jezebel on them. That's what they use. Oh, they got the spirit. No, no. We have to have discernment. Amen? We have to have discernment. What does that mean? We have to, by the spirit, understand what is happening. We can't just go, oh, that's, I know who that is. Number one, people influenced by Jezebel target usually the leader. Not just those, not just the leader, but those in leadership. People in, uh, influenced by the spirit of Jezebel make false covenants that they don't intend to keep in order to gain position 
Here's the things they'll say. I'll fight with you. I've got your back. I don't give up that easy. No matter what happens, you can trust me. People influenced by Jezebel seem spiritual to outsiders. They come in talking about their prayer lives and their 40-day fasts. They exuberantly share what they see in the spirit realm. They may pray eloquent prayers and prophesy encouraging words. They gather people to themselves. People influenced by Jezebel's spirit seek to isolate the leader from other people who can speak into their lives. People influenced by this will pit people against each other in ministry and ultimately pit people against leadership. People who threaten them are set up and chased out. If they can't get what they want by ruthless manipulation, they then play the victim. If they can't get your power, they want your pity. People influenced by the Spirit are never wrong. The problem is always with somebody else and never with them. If they do repent, it's always a false repentance. People influenced by the Spirit, they seem humble, but in truth, what they have is a religious spirit. People influenced by this really feel self-important. We'll see later in Scripture how Jezebel refers to herself as a prophetess. She's got a word from the Lord. They have to have their way, and they manipulate their way to get it. People influenced by a Jezebel spirit will not be accountable to anybody. They hate accountability. They will not be accountable to anybody. People with this look for those who are hurt or wounded or insecure and become their prophet, their teacher, or their spiritual guide. They draw people to themselves to gain followers. People with the Jezebel spirit will guilt you if you don't bow to their needs. They will tell you you aren't operating in the fruit of the spirit or acting Christ-like. This is a ploy to get you to submit to what they want. People operating in this will operate through people with insecurity, emotional instability, pride, arrogance, and manipulation. People influenced by this will twist the facts. They have selective memory. They are smooth and slick and almost convince you that they're right. People influenced by this will actually pray their own will against God's will. Lord, remove that person from that position. That belongs to me. I don't know if that this, what I've described here is 15 things that describe what the spirit of Jezebel is. I don't know if you've ever experienced this, but I have. Where we were a part of a church and a person that absolutely operated in this was also in the church. I heard about her over the phone 
And when I was told about her, automatically my spirit jumped within me and said, there's a red flag went off. There's something wrong with this person. This person, it turns out, had written a book, wanted to get her book sold. She went to the pastor and said, I want to set up a, a book station in the back. The pastor said, I don't think that's a very good idea. And she started playing the victim. Started throwing a tantrum. Soon, she wanted to preach during the services. She went to the pastor and said, I'd like to preach during the service. She, and he said, yeah, I don't know. That the, well, you know, if it's just in rotation, I'd like to preach. So he said, okay. Then she began to, she began to want to preach more and more. First, it was only once in a while. And every time she came up to preach, it was very angry. She was very upset. She'd been going through a lot, and she wanted everybody to know. Finally, we had a sit-down with her. I as the associate, the pastor as the pastor, and the youth pastor was there, and she was there as well. And she said, I want to be permanently part of the rotation of preaching. And when asked why, she said, because I am the treasurer of this church, and I know who gives what, and who doesn't? I am a faithful tither, which means I should be in the rotation to preach. I looked at her straight in the eyes and said, thank you for giving. But the only thing that entitles you to is to sit down and listen to the word of the Lord come from the pastor. She got so offended this is what helps people grow. This is what helps people learn. This is, this is, these are the signs to watch out for people who are trying to trip up and mess up your life. She got offended. I can't believe he would talk to me like that. I, do, do you know who I am? I can't believe. Tears start coming down her face. Unfortunately, the pastor gave in to it. Within three weeks, the church was shut down. Shut down. It will suffocate. If it can, we'll try to suffocate the move of the Lord. This is the evil we see here. Why, you know, why... Why do, we, why do we go into all Pastor David, why did you go into all of that? I mean, honestly, could, could you answer me the question, why did I go into all of that? Because we have to realize that the battle that we fight isn't just in Scripture thousands of years ago. We have to understand that there is a battle today. We have to understand this isn't just, this isn't just Asa and Ahab and Jezebel and the Baal Temple and the Asheroth Pole. This isn't just Elijah who we're going to read about in just a few minutes. We have to understand that this isn't just a couple thousand years ago. This is happening now. We are continuing in this. We are in a spiritual warfare. Do we understand that? I don't think we do. I don't know that we understand it. The evil that we see here in 1 Kings 16, it is dark and it is grim. There is no outlook of brightness in the future. But, 
I like the butts. That sounded really not good. I, <laughs> I like it when there is a... <sighs> However... <laughs> it's embarrassing. However... My wife is going to cry. She's laughing so hard. However, there is hope. Amen? There's hope for you. There's even hope for me. God is raising up a prophet to stand up to them and stand up for him. Amen? Amen. Go to the next slide. 1 Kings chapter 17, verse 1. Now, Elijah the Tishbite. I like this. Elijah. He is a Tishbite. What does that mean? He is from Tishbe. They call him Tishbites. Just call him Elijah. It's good. He says to Ahab, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will neither be dew nor rain in the next few years except at my word. Now, we read this and think, okay, Elijah just went up to Ahab and said, Hey, Ahab, just so you know, as the Lord, the God of Israel, lives, whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except my word. We kind of read it like that, but we don't understand the historical context of it. This was a man approaching the king. This was the king at a moment's notice could say, death to you and you are dead. And so this man, this prophet of God, Elijah, comes before the king. And under the power and presence of God, he says these words, As the Lord, the God of Israel, lives whom I serve, there will be neither dew nor rain in the next few years except by my word. He comes with the authority of God. I want this church to thrive. I want this church to do mighty things in this community. Elijah was aware of who he was facing. Elijah was aware that of, the, of the devil's devices that were being used. He was aware of his enemy. We're not going to go any further in Scripture today, but we will continue next week in it. Because I want to focus on this and come back to this point that it, we can't look at this as just a story that happened thousands of years ago. We have to look at it and understand that we are at warfare now. This church, you know, one of the themes of this church is where people are loved and faith is grown. It's what we hear on the radio, right? And I love that people feel loved in this church. I want people to feel loved in this church. It's hugely important that people feel loved in this church. But this should be a place where people prepare for battle. This isn't just a place where people are loved. That's hugely important. That's, that's huge. But this is a place where we are to prepare for battle. For the most part, and I'm just going to be very transparent with you here, the first world churches, the first world nation churches, have gotten stuck in making people feel comfortable and unoffended instead of being ready for war. As Christians, we have to be ready for war. We have to put our armor on. 
This is a place where the wounded are brought to be strengthened back to, by fellowship and good teaching and then pushed back out into battle. That's what the church is for. That the wounded come, they're strengthened up, there's fellowship, there's good teaching, and then they go back out into battle. Why? Because Jesus didn't die on a cross just for us to have a nice place to sit and have a cup of coffee on a Sunday morning. That's not why Jesus died. His death on the cross was for you to be redeemed from the curse of hell and the grave. Now it's our job to point people towards that same redemption. Amen? I love preaching to people, and I love sharing the good news. I do, but guess what? Guess what? It's not my job to share Christ with your neighbors. It's not my job to share Christ with people at your job. It's not my job to always share Christ with your family members. I love it when they're here, but most of the time, that's where you are. God has called you to preach to them. God has called you to exemplify Christ to them. God has called you to show them the way to redemption. And then bring them here, and we'll prepare them for battle and send them out to get some more soldiers. Amen? I love preaching about it, but, but it's not my job. It's your job. We have to start having a clear idea of what the church is for. We don't talk about this anymore. We don't talk about it in the church anymore. And this isn't hellfire and brimstone preaching. This is get real, grow up, stop being spiritual babies, and start living your life on the front lines of battle that God has called us to. I'm done. It's time for us to do what God has called us to do. Amen? It's time for us to get real. It's time for us to grow up. It's time for us to stop being spiritual babies and start getting on the front lines of battle with the armor that he's given us, with the authority and protection that we have in the powerful, wonderful, beautiful name of Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I just pray that you would take this message, take this word. Lord, let it just affect everybody who hears it. What a wonderful name you have. What a beautiful name. What a powerful name. The name of Jesus. You say, Pastor David, I, I, maybe I'm new here for the first time. Maybe I've never been here. Maybe I've been coming to church, but I don't have a real relationship with the Lord. I don't have a real relationship with this person you call Jesus. The Jesus I know about is, has been talked about in Bible stories. and I've heard the story of Elijah before, Pastor David, but I've never heard it quite in that way. I've heard about Jesus. I've heard about the disciples, but, but I don't have a real relationship with them. You might be here this morning. You know, I'm not going to ask you to come forward. I'm not going to ask you to, to raise your hand. I, I'm going to ask you to have a real moment with the presence of God right now. I'm going to ask you to have a real moment. 
Why? Because when I was lost in my sin, I had to realize that Jesus Christ died on a cross. His blood was shed for the redemption of man. And then I also had to remember this. Three days later, he did not stay in the grave, but was resurrected. He's seated at the right hand of the Father, praying for me and praying for you, interceding on your behalf. You might be in this place and say, Pastor David, I need to make a real decision for Christ. I need to make a real decision for Christ. I need to stop playing games in the church. I need to stop playing games in my life. I need to get real about where I'm at. I need to get real about what I've been doing. And I urge you this morning, give your life to Christ. I urge you this morning to pray the prayer, Lord, I am a sinner. I need to be set free. I need to be delivered. And that when you pray that prayer, that you are delivered, that you are redeemed, that you are what the Bible calls saved. And we thank Him for it. I believe people's response to God is extremely personal. And so I want you to, each person, personally look in yourselves. personally say, God, either Jesus, I need you in my life or Lord, I need you to strengthen me. I need you to help me grow up. I need you to help me stop being such a spiritual baby. I need you to get me ready for the front lines. I need you to help me put my armor on. I need you to help me understand who my enemy is. I need you to help me. We thank you for it. Lord, I pray over each person here this morning. Lord, I pray that you would bless them and that you would keep them. Lord, that you would cause your face to shine down upon them. And Lord, I pray that you would give them rest. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you. We love you. Have a great day.